Well, good morning. My name is Emily. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us this morning as we worship. Um, so I want you to imagine something with me. Maybe you've been to Europe before, maybe it's on your bucket list. And um, if you go to Europe, you will see these huge churches and cathedrals that kind of look like this. Um, this uh, Wikipedia told me this, this is Gothic style architecture that was popular from the 1100s to the 1500s. And um, one thing that you see a lot with this kind of Gothic style of churches is that like if you lifted the building off and you were to look at the floor plan, they were built in the shape of a cross. It's called a cruciform uh, style or cross-shaped style. And so when you enter this cruciform church for worship, especially back when there were more people doing so, the point was that um, you would kind of have this like symbolic experience of entering into and being held inside of a cross. And the point of worship in those spaces was meant to make you think about how is my life being molded into the shape of a cross so that whenever I leave this building, I am living through my life, the sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus that we see displayed on the cross. Um, well, a couple weeks ago, we started a new sermon series on 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this group of first century Christians living in the Greek city of Corinth. Um, and at that time, it was held by the Roman Empire. Paul founded the church um, and he saw all these people, both from Jewish backgrounds and pagan Gentile backgrounds, coming to faith in Jesus. He spent about a year and a half with them. He poured into them and then he left to continue uh, other missionary work, sharing Jesus with people who'd never heard about him. Uh, but not long after Paul left, he got word, we think from probably multiple sources, that the, the Corinthian Christians were having some really big problems. Um, they like had like worship wars going on. Like people didn't like different styles of worship together. They weren't unified under one leader. They wanted to follow different people. They were having like some big issues with sex and sexuality. We're gonna get to that part in a couple weeks. So come back for that. Um, and one of the things that Paul's making really, really clear though, at the beginning of this letter to them is that for him, these problems that are coming up in the Corinthian church, they are, um, they're kind of the surface issue. They are like symptoms of a much deeper problem. Think about your body. Like if you are deficient in a vitamin like iron or vitamin D, like your body's gonna start sending you signals that things aren't working right. And for Paul, the Corinthian church body isn't working right because of a deficiency a deficiency in how they relate to and view the cross of Jesus. And so the passage that we're going to be looking at today, Paul is inviting the Corinthian church to remember that salvation from the cross of Jesus is meant to lead to a life in the shape of the cross of Jesus. Salvation from the cross leads to a life that looks like the cross. And a cross-shaped life magnifies God's power in our vulnerability and weakness. That's what he's gonna tell them, that a cross-shaped life magnifies God's power in our vulnerability and weakness. So if you would, grab a Bible 
You can grab one from the P-Rack in front of you. Maybe you have one on your phone. Um, You can pull up your app. We are gonna be in 1 Corinthians. I did not look up the page number, but it's kind of towards the back. Um, We're gonna be mostly in chapter two, but we're gonna start at the end of chapter one so that we can get a little bit of the context of what Paul's saying here. So Paul has just been talking about why God's way of acting in the world like totally does not meet our expectations. It's very topsy-turvy. So we're gonna be picking up in chapter one, verse 26, before moving on. We good? All right. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And now we're gonna skip to chapter two. God chose the weak things. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. In other words, I too am not very smart or influential or strong. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Paul's gonna go on to talk more about how the wisdom of God is revealed by the spirit of God freely to any who are open to it. And so Paul's message can be trusted. But for now, I just want us to camp out on what he is saying here at the beginning of chapter two, because it's pretty like earth shattering. Paul is saying, my beloved Corinthians, you may be obsessed with status and impressive leaders, but even your own faith, the very fact that you believe in Jesus at all, is not because I came to you and did such a great job communicating about it. Your faith didn't come through some kind of slick marketing campaign. I wasn't like a speaker who got you like really hyped up for God. No, I came to you with weakness and fear and ineloquence because I wanted your faith to not be a reflection of how good I am. I wanted your faith to be a reflection of how powerful God is. And so Paul's own method of sharing the message of the cross with the Corinthians was itself cross-shaped so the power of God would be magnified. And so to get at why Paul is like hammering this home so much, why does this matter so much to him? There's a couple of things going on in the cultural background of 1 Corinthians that we need to know about and pay attention to. First, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, the art of rhetoric or persuasive public speaking was highly, highly valued. It was almost like um, an ancient form of like celebrity influencer culture that we have now. You know, 
Today we have people who um, make these really like cute videos and post them on Instagram. And they're like, guys, I just bought this amazing candle. You should totally get it too. And back then that was kind of what orators and public speakers did. They influenced people, they shaped their opinions. Um, and they were very polished speakers who would win public debates. And so when people imagined what it looked like to be famous or influential or powerful, an orator or a public speaker would come to mind. And so the Corinthians were living in this culture where people would accumulate power through their ability to impress people by what they say. And the people themselves, the masses, were very eager to be impressed and entertained with great speakers. Um, so I know that like the world of ancient Greco-Roman rhetoric probably feels really far away from us today. But what I think is familiar for our church culture and for our culture at large is that, our culture at large, is that we are full of this pursuit of celebrity and infatuation with celebrities in the world around us. And I'm not saying that like you're wrong if you're a big fan of somebody talented or famous, or maybe you and your friends wear pink today because you're going to go see the Barbie movie later, or, <laughs> or that you're not bad if you have a favorite author or podcaster that you really like. Um, but what I am saying is that we are formed in a culture that really values image and impressing people and influencing people. And we are not immune to how that directs our expectations of God or a church or even a pastor to fulfill those expectations. Uh, most Americans spend nearly twice as much money on consuming entertainment compared to how much money they donate. And most of us spend more hours a day uh, watching people and engaging with people through screens than we do actually having real conversations with our neighbors and our family members. Our time and our money indicate that we are very primed to look for things that are impressive and entertaining as markers of power and influence, just as much as the Corinthians were 2,000 years ago. But for Paul, the value of the Jesus message is not bound up with his ability to be impressive or entertaining. In fact, he thinks the message of Christ crucified is so crazy and so costly that only the power of God's spirit would be sufficient to move people to actually believe in it. And so for him, the best possible way to communicate that message is through the medium of his own weakness, not rhetorical flourish. It's through vulnerability, not celebrity influence. And so Paul's like, I am not playing the rhetorical eloquence game because for the Corinthians, it is such a distraction from the heartbeat of the gospel. Another thing going on in the background here is what crucifixion would have meant in the Greco-Roman context. Because as we've just seen here, the heartbeat of the gospel for Paul is Christ crucified. Not just that Christ died, but how he died. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In a lot of our church cultures today, we show reverence 
to crosses. We wear crosses as jewelry. Churches are built in the shapes of crosses, but in Paul's day, people didn't view crosses that way. Crosses were not decorative. They were deadly. The Roman orator Cicero said that crucifixion was the most cruel and disgusting penalty in which victims died in pain and agony and endured the worst extremes of torture. And crucifixion served two purposes. First, it was a form of capital punishment specifically designed to make people afraid to revolt against Roman authority. And so the crucifixions would be public spectacles meant to deter people from acting out. And second, and this is what I think we don't often pick up on in the New Testament, but crucifixion was meant to be a shameful death, a death that humiliated its victims, a death that degraded them, a death that dehumanized them, a death that would essentially like wipe them from any collective memory. You were not supposed to remember a crucified person. You definitely were not supposed to worship them. The idea that divinity and crucifixion could go together was impossible, mutually exclusive. Reverence and crucifixion didn't go together. Wisdom and crucifixion did not go together. Power and crucifixion did not go together. But Paul's message is that God chooses the foolish things of the world like crosses to shame the strong. And he says, in Christ Jesus, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and humbled himself to death, even, even death on a cross. And so what Paul's saying is like, in the place of greatest humiliation and powerlessness imaginable ever on earth, God enters in. And there, his ultimate power over sin and death is actually revealed. In the place of greatest isolation and shame we could ever imagine, God enters in. And there, his love and his desire to be in relationship with us is on display. This message about a God who so defies human expectations, so radically humbles himself, so fully breaks the power of the world through weakness. This message is not served through feats of human strength or power or entertainment or impressiveness. If God can reveal his power and love on a Roman cross, then the message about that God is best magnified through cross-shaped lives that boast in weakness and move towards vulnerability because we've seen that is the fertile ground for movement of the Spirit's power. And so for Paul, if the Son of God was willing to come in this kind of weakness and vulnerability, the posture of a servant who is crucified, and that means two really important things. First, it means that his weakness, Paul's weakness, his lack of eloquence, his great fear and trembling, these are not liabilities 
to the gospel's movement in him. And instead, they are actually redeemable assets. He can actually embrace his weakness as ground zero for the place that God is going to be at work in the world. And he does not have to impress people or have it all together. And second, it means that he can actually lay down pursuing privilege and status as a way to avoid suffering and discomfort, but instead he can move towards people in sacrificial love, even when it makes him vulnerable, even when it's costly. And his time in Corinth proved that that's exactly what happened. And so embracing weakness and moving towards vulnerable suffering, these are hallmarks of what it looks like to know nothing but Christ crucified and to depend on the Spirit's power and to start to take on a cross-shaped life. Friends, some of us are here this morning, and we really need to be reminded that our weaknesses, our struggle places, are not too much for God. Some of us, you came in here this morning, and you had a week where you were just like repeating those scripts in your head about all the places that you're not measuring up, all the things that you're not good enough at, at all the places where you can't outrun your limitations. Maybe you're struggling with the same problem for a long time, and maybe you even feel like you kind of need to like get to a certain level of holiness before God would want anything to do with you. Friends, the logic of the cross turns all of that upside down. And it sets us free from that rat race of needing to measure up. I'm, um, I'm reading a book right now called The Anxiety Opportunity by a former pastor named Curtis Chang, who actually stepped down from ministry for a while after he hid his struggle with anxiety for a really long time and had a nervous breakdown. And I am reading it because I'm like, I need this book. I recognize myself in this and I need it. Um, and you know, Chang, he's very supportive of all kinds of anxiety treatments, psychotherapy, medication. He's like, yes. And also he's like, we need to learn to see our anxiety, especially one of those struggles. We need to see our anxiety in the light of Christ crucified. And in that light, it doesn't just have to be this like problem we got to like buck up and blow past and squash down and nobody can ever see it. Instead, he says, anxiety can become this redemptive opportunity to meet Jesus, to invite his truth and his healing into the stories that we're living, and to actually use that as an opportunity to embrace a kind of cruciform way of trusting Jesus in the midst of our deepest pain and weakness. And so when I hear that, I think, gosh, a, a cross-shaped life is actually one where I am set free from needing to self-manage all of my weaknesses. And I'm set free for knowing Jesus more deeply and showing him more clearly to those around me. For others of us here this morning, we really need to be reminded that a cross-shaped life is not about pursuing status and privilege. It's not about being known as talented and intelligent and beautiful and successful. It's not about building a life where we control for all the outcomes and shield ourselves from suffering and avoid sacrificial service, avoiding the places where we might actually feel we need Jesus in our lives. That, the kind of satisfaction that that life offers is just like a vapor. You can't ever get it. 
It's not satisfying, and it just clouds our vision of God's power at work. A while ago, I was listening to um, a podcast about uh, church leadership gone bad. (laughs) And on the podcast, I heard this Christian author named Andy Crouch share a story that has just really stayed with me. In the conversation, Andy Crouch is trying to explain why Christians, especially Christian leaders, have become so status-driven. And he says, the reason is that most of us, um, we would prefer to live like celebrities rather than saints. And he uses this example. He's like, take Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. They died the same week in 1997. One of them, Princess Diana, was a celebrity, a celebrity who everyone wanted to be like. We want to be as beautiful as her, as popular as her, but nobody can be like that. Nobody can be Princess Diana. There's only one Princess of Wales. It's not accessible to us. The other one, Mother Teresa, serving the poor in the slums of Calcutta, India for uh, over half her life, over 50 years. Uh, She wasn't a celebrity like Diana, but she was a saint, someone who was open to following Jesus, not just in strength, but in deep weakness. And Andy Crouch is like, most people can't ever be celebrities like Diana, but pretty much any of us could become a saint. Anyone actually could be like Mother Teresa. What she does is not off limits. It's not um, a matter of privileged position. And he's like, if that's so true, why do we resist it? And he says this, we just don't want the suffering, (laughs) the long stretches of anonymity and seeming ineffectiveness the humiliation of being like your Lord, that part we would really rather not have. Every day I'm tempted to divert into some facsimile of the path of celebrity rather than the path of sainthood. Um, I can really relate to that. I wonder if you can too. I think that the Corinthian church and a lot of those folks there probably could relate as well. It's always been so easy for God's people to prefer celebrity over sainthood, status over sacrifice and having it all together rather than embracing weakness. But in the midst of our struggles, Paul's encouragement is not get it together, try harder. It's look to the cross. It's look to Jesus and find him in your weakness. Know nothing but Christ crucified. Remember, CPC family, that our faith has never rested on our own greatness, our ability to impress hyped up status. It rests on Christ crucified, the power of the God who embraced humility and weakness unto death on a cross all because he loves us. Will you pray with me? Lord God, would you meet us in our weakness today? Our weak places of feeling despair because we're not enough, our weak places of pridefully wanting to avoid anything that might make us feel like we really need you, our places that maybe seem past your ability to redeem Would you overwhelm us with the beauty of what you've done on the cross 
and that beholding your glory there, would we be set free for cross-shaped lives where we get to know you in all the places we carry, including our weakness. Would you meet us in power in those places? In Jesus' name, amen.